0: starting a new series this morning called Going Places, and uh, I don't don't know if you've ever gone on a trip. Most of you probably have. Have you ever gone on a long trip, particularly a long trip with young children? Um, It is an adventure, and um, those types of trips tend to reveal some things um, about us. Uh, I don't know if this has been the case for you, if you've ever been on a long car ride with kids. Those sort of trips tend to reveal some of the things that, like, I didn't. I don't think I'm an angry person until I'm on a long trip with children in the car, right? Uh, those things reveal like how easily frustrated we get, how impatient we are, how easy we get agitated. Uh, one of the things that those kind of trips have revealed for me is how much like my parents I am, right? I'm like, when, is it progressive, those commercials where it's just like, you're becoming your, those are genius commercials, by the way. Um, but like, I, I have vivid memories, memories, it's not a word. I have vivid memories of my dad pulling the vehicle to the side of the road and coming to a stop a little faster than maybe was safe and turning around and basically threatening, like, I will turn this car around. Am I the only one that ever, anybody else ever get that? A few of us, okay, the rest of you are liars, it's fine. Um, Right, but I've I've found myself doing that same thing. Um, Here's the deal. We've actually got one of those trips coming up this fall. This is a secret now. I'm trusting you with valuable information. We've got one of those trips coming up this fall. We're going to take a long trip to Florida. And uh, my kids don't know that yet, though. So here's what I'm, I'm being vulnerable right now. I'm trusting you to not tell them. Because as, as stressful as the trip will be, the last thing I need is my kids for the next two months asking me every day, where are we going? When are we going? How many days until we're going? Are we there yet? Right? It's the last thing I need. So I'm just, just so you know, if you say something to my kids about this trip, I will, I'm going to tell them you are a liar. And I'm not going to feel bad about it. Okay, because I warned you. All right, I warned you. So anyways, here's, here's my point. Um, going places, that's the name of the series, but we, those sort of times when we're going places from one place to another, like those can be very revealing things, right? Uh, maybe it's not even a road trip per se. Maybe it's just like a transition from, from one Phase of life, one, one season of life to another, right a few weeks ago, I asked you guys you know how many of you are from here uh, and how many of you are not from here and about there's about half the room was, was not from here, best I can remember uh, and, and while i don 't know what that transition was like for you from wherever you were before to when you came here, my guess is that even in that season of, of transition, like that probably revealed some things about you. I know it did for us. we moved from Somerset to here and a new went from what was known and familiar uh, to something that was new and uncertain and unknown. Like it revealed some things about us. There was uh, good things, right? There were bad things. There were things like I didn't even know were in my heart until we went through that transition. And my guess is maybe some of you guys can relate to, to that as well. Going through a transition from what's known and familiar to something that's new tends to reveal things about us. And so... Uh, it's, it's that sort of revealing season of transition is what we're going to be uh, looking at the next few weeks uh, as we look at the people of Israel. They, they transition from Egypt, so what was known, familiar, into uh, the, the wilderness. They're there for a while, into the promised land. Uh, what we're going to see is that's going to be a, re- uh, a revealing sort of season for them. right They're going to learn... Um, some things about themselves they 're going to learn some things about god, so that 's where we 're going to spend the next few weeks um, we 're going to start in exodus fifteen, but before we do, let me give you a a twenty thousand foot flyover uh, of of how Israel got to where they are in exodus fifteen All right. I want to this is going to be like familiar for a lot of you, but I just want to make sure we 're starting off on the same same foot so um, if you go back into uh, the, the book of actually you can go trace it back into the book of Genesis uh, through a series of circumstances and events. The people of Israel find themselves enslaved in Egypt. Right, that's where uh, the book of Exodus picks up. But but again, you can trace that back into the the sort of the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. So the people of Israel spent 400 years enslaved in Egypt. To put that in frame of reference, like that's our country is almost, you know, a little over half that, that. Right? So for 400 years that the people of, of Israel find themselves enslaved in uh, the land of Egypt, and, and towards the end of that time, uh, it, it becomes an environment that is increasingly hostile. Their, uh, their labor becomes increasingly difficult. Right? They are uh, living in a place that has government-sponsored genocide. As Pharaoh orders all of the uh, the newborn Israelite male children to be to be killed. All right, so it's they, very dire circumstances in in Egypt, and then they they come to this point where uh, God basically says, "You know what? That's enough." Right, and there's this passage in Exodus two. You, you don't have to turn there; it'll be on the screens. But I'm going to read it because this is going to kind of set up what's going to happen in the book of Exodus. But I think it's one of the most just like profound passages. Definitely in the Old Testament, maybe in the whole Bible. Uh, But it's Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. It says, During those many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. And their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And I love that,? Right? Just God uh, He heard His people, He saw His people, right? He knew what they were experiencing, He knew what they were walking through. He remembered His promise to His people. And so God says, "All right, it's time to act." Right? And, and if you know the story, God uh, raises up uh, a man named Moses. Right? Moses has got quite a bit of a backstory, we don't have time for all that this morning, but God uh, comes to Moses through a burning bush in the wilderness and he raises up Moses and, and uses Moses to deliver his people from, uh, from slavery in Egypt. Right? Over 400 years of slavery and through the hand of uh, Moses, God is going to perform signs and miracles and wonders and these supernatural acts and deliver his people out of slavery uh, and into uh into the wilderness toward the promised land, right? And so you can read all about that in the first 14 chapters of Exodus. In fact, I would encourage you to, uh, we're gonna be in Exodus for the next, Lord willing, about the next six weeks. So if you wanna kind of get the backstory, I'd encourage you, read Exodus chapters one through 14. You'll kind of get some of the story. Or if you don't like to read, uh, you can probably watch the Prince of Egypt animated movie. Anybody remember that? All right, anybody old enough to remember Charlton Heston? The Ten Commandments are a few hands. Okay, I won't point you out. Okay? Uh, or then there's some, I think well, there was one a few years ago with Christian Bale. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know the validity of those movies per se, but if you want to watch it, get a visual thing. Just read the Bible, though, because it's inspired and the movies are not. Okay? So, anyways, here's where we pick up the Exodus story, chapter 15. Um, All of 15 is basically this song of, of worship. Uh, remembering, reflecting, this sort of looking back at the triumphant victory that God has, uh, God has won, like we just sang about, for His people. right That's what the first 20 or so chapters of um, Exodus 15, sorry, 20 or so verses of Exodus 15 is. so they've had this worship service. They're remembering all that God has done, how He's delivered them. Uh, and then we get to verse 22. We're going to walk through it slowly this morning. Uh, as if I know any other way, let's be honest. All right, verse 22. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. So if you trace Israel's enslavement in Egypt all the way back to its beginning, what, what you know is that they actually end up in Egypt because... Uh, the land that they were in was experiencing drought and famine. They didn't have enough food. Right? And that was sort of the catalyst that led them traveling to Egypt, where there was abundance of, of food and supplies for them to, uh, to sustain, sustain themselves. Right? And so uh, that's what led to eventually their enslavement in Israel, or in, sorry, in Egypt. But even in their enslavement, right, 400 years, they had, uh, they had the most basic of needs met. Right? Even though they were enslaved, even though they were oppressed, even though labor was hard, uh, they still had their needs met. Right? So it, but it doesn't take long. Right Here, right? we just read right. three days. Three days into their journey out of Egypt, out of slavery, and they find themselves without one of life's most basic needs. Right? They don't have any water. And so they, they see... What appears to be some sort of oasis or some sort of water supply uh, on the horizon and they get to it. This is what we see in verse 23. So when they came to Mara, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore it was named Mara. So if you didn't put two and two together, Mara means bitter or, or bitterness. Uh, so the, the people of Israel um, they come to this place, right? And, it's called Mar because the water, what they find there is that this water is bitter. They can't drink it. Right? It will not sustain them. Uh, but I'm willing to bet that at that point, the water's not the only thing that's bitter. Right? Because, I mean, think about, what they, think about where they've been. Right? 400 years enslaved. Right? In Egypt. Right? They've, they've just been delivered from not, not only slavery and oppression, They've been delivered uh, from this, this place where their, their infants were being murdered, like their, their newborn male infants were, were literally being, being killed. And, and, and so you would think God delivering them from slavery in Egypt is going to deliver them something to something better than slavery, oppression, and genocide. All right, that, that's a fair thing to think, that God's going to lead them into something better than that. That's what I would think if God delivers me from that. He's going to deliver me into something better than what I just came from, right? But here they are three days into their journey without the most basic of needs. And so I imagine there's some bitterness kind of, kind of boiling up in their hearts, right? This wilderness that they're in is revealing some things about them, right? My, my, my assumption is there's some some questioning going on here, and there certainly will be in the weeks to come. The people are questioning, like, God, what do you... I mean, at least in Egypt, we had, like, food and water. Did you bring us down here to die? Like, what, what are we doing here? And it's at this point that the Israelites should have cried out to God for help. Right? It's not that they don't know to do that. We just read the verses in chapter 2 where they, right, they're being enslaved and they're, they cry out to God for help. And so... This is the point where they should have cried out to God, said, God, we are in the wilderness. We don't have what we need. We need you to sustain us, help us, deliver us. Right? But that's not what they do. Right? Even though they've already seen God's power exercised in supernatural ways, right? that's how they got out of Egypt. And on top of that, like they've seen God's power over, over water. Right? He turned the entire Nile into to blood. Right? He. Parted the Red Sea so they could walk through. Like he, I'm pretty sure he could provide some water for them. So, what they should have done was cry out to him, but what they actually did is verse 24. They, they turned their attention to Moses. It says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So, rather than crying out to God, for deliverance and help, they, they bring their bitterness and their grumbling to Moses. Right now, if we could, if we could just kind of set her down here for a minute. It's easy for us as 21st century readers of the book of Exodus to, to look at the Israelites and say, like, what are y'all doing? I mean, have it, just just look back a few chapters. Right? You know how God delivered you, right? You know his signs and his wonders and the all the different plagues and all the things that he did to get you out of Egypt. How could you so easily forget what he's done for you? And how could you so easily forget how he's provided, how he's sustained, how he's delivered? It's easiest for, for us to take that view and be like, Israel, you're, you're, you're foolish. Just look, turn the pages, turn a few pages back and look what God has done. All right, but, but I'm willing to bet, because I know my own heart, I 'm willing to bet that we are far more like Israel than we care to admit right we're, we're far more like Israel, like generally speaking, right? I, I don't know everyone in this room, but generally speaking, we are quick to forget how God has sustained us, how He has provided for us, we're quick quick to forget His goodness, right? quick to uh, forget his his provision and sustenance, just in the the like the everyday things that we take for granted, All right? Let's just run a little diagnostic test of sorts here. Uh, I want you to think back to a time where uh, maybe you had like a, a real need that you couldn't quite provide for yourself. Uh, maybe it was. A time where you were, just a season where you were going through um, something that you really didn't have any sort of control of yourself. Like, you could not just sort of manhandle your way through it. Like a season of struggle or loss or, or suffering or... I want to Get that captured in your mind. Maybe you don't have to look back because that's like where you are right now in life. Right, but I want you to, to think about that. And I want you to think about like, in that season or in that moment, whenever it was... Maybe it's now. What was the initial reaction of your heart in that moment, in that season? Right. Was it to look back at all that God has done? He's, he's, he's good. He, is, he provides. He sustains. Or was your, was your natural reaction in that moment, in that season, uh, was it a bend towards anger or frustration or anxiety or fear or bitterness. Right? I, I don't I don't know which one of those directions you lean towards. Again, I know my own heart, and I know I'm far more easy to to bounce over here towards forgetfulness. Right? Far more easy to bounce over there. And like maybe maybe that's not you though. Maybe you're over here. Maybe you are further on down the road than a lot of us, and like you're your initial reaction in those moments is to cry out to God for help. It is to look back to God and what He's done. And if that's you, hey, praise God. Keep getting it. Help the rest of us along the way. All right? But for most of us, and I'm willing to bet that, that in those moments where we are, uh, where we have a need, where we have a struggle, where we have some issue that we can't really get through on our own, my, my guess is that we're far more like the Israelites, Right, prone to forget God's goodness, prone to forget his provision, prone to forget his faithfulness. And so if we go back to the text, what we, we see here is, is Moses doesn't know what to do with this people, which again, that's going to be a reoccurring theme in the weeks ahead. Weeks ahead. Right, Moses looks at these people, they're grumbling, they're complaining. He's like, I don't know what to do with them. That's how it feels apparent most time. Right? So Moses does what the Israelites should have done to begin with, right? He turns and he cries out to God. Look at verse 25. It says, And he, that being Moses, cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. And there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them. We'll come back to that in just a minute, but Moses cries out to God, right? And, and God does once again what He's been doing all throughout the book of Exodus, right? He works supernaturally, miraculously, performs a, a, a miracle. Miracle takes uh, takes a log, throws it into this water, and all of a sudden, this bitter water becomes sweet, right? Another miracle that provides, uh, that proves. To the people of Israel that, that he sustains them. Right, he proves that the same God who delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, delivered them out of oppression. He's the God who will sustain them. Right, and then he lays before them a test. All right, Look at the second half of verse 25 into 26. It says, There... The Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So here God lays the groundwork for what's really going to become a, a pattern in the weeks to come and the in the chapters to come. And here it is. The wilderness that God is leading them into is going to be a place of testing. Right? God's leading them out of Egypt, away from slavery, oppression. Like he has delivered them, but he's going to deliver them into, for a while, this, this wilderness, and it's going to be a place of testing It's going to be a place where time and time again the people of God are going to be put in a position where they are uh, they're going to have to choose between right uh, despair over a lack of what they have, a lack of what they see or dependence on the God who will deliver and sustain All right now Here's what I want you to think about, and this is going to help us kind of make a transition into some application here in a minute. The people of God at this point, where we're picking this up in, in Exodus 15, they've already been saved and delivered. Right, they're, they're out of Egypt. Right? The Egyptians were thrown into the sea. The sea came back in on them. Like they're, they're safe from the hand of Egypt. Okay, but, but they're not yet where God is leading them to. Right? If you know the stories, a bit of a spoiler alert, like God's leading them into the promised land. Right? And, and I, I th- have to think that the, the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient God of the universe could have taken them out of Egypt straight into the promised land had he wanted to. But he doesn't do that. Right? He, he does not, ult- does not immediately He will ultimately, but he does not immediately deliver his people into greener pastures. He leads them actually into a a barren wilderness. A place where they're going to have to learn to trust and depend and cry out. They're going to spend a a lot of time in this wilderness wandering and waiting on God. And, And here's why. God's going to use the wilderness. Right? They're already saved. They're already saved, but he's going to use the wilderness to sanctify his people. Right? He's going to use the wilderness as, a, as an environment, as a place where, where they're going to learn what it means to really trust and walk in obedience and, and grow in their faith of the God who, who not only saves and delivers, but also sustains. And what's true, what was true for God's people then is still true for God's people now. Right, that the, the wilderness is a place of growth and sanctification. And when I say sanctification, what I mean by that is just it's it's where we mature in the faith. It's where we become more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to, to be sanctified. Right, the wilderness for God's people then, the wilderness for God's people now is a place of sanctification so let me let me explain what i mean by that a little bit if you're here and you are a christian a follower of jesus you've repented of your sin you've placed your faith in jesus christ for the uh the the forgiveness of your sin uh, then, then you have been saved from the penalty of sin you're saved you're in Right, just as the people of Israel, the moment they walked out of Egypt and crossed the Red Sea, they were saved from slavery. Like you, you've been saved. Right? And you you weren't saved from a physical opponent like the people of Israel, but you've been saved from a, a far worse oppressor. You've been saved from slavery to sin. Right? But like Israel in Exodus 15, though you've been delivered from Enslavement, you are not yet in the promised land. You are not yet where you will be. God is taking you from one place to another place, but there's some years spent here in the middle. Right? You've you kind of live in this space that theologians and people smarter than me call like the already, not yet. You've already been saved, you've already been delivered but you've not yet been perfected, right? You're not yet where you're going to be. And so, uh, like Israel, we, we are in this wilderness, in this in-between, saved and delivered, but, but not yet in glory. Right, and we're, we're going to spend some time here. I mean, And I just wonder, have you, have you ever wondered, like, when God saves you, if you go back to that moment, like when you first trusted, you first believed, um, have you ever wondered why God doesn't just like, zap you right up, like tractor beam, like, all right, you're with me now. You ever wonder? I mean, I've wondered that. Maybe I wonder things I shouldn't wonder. I don't know. But you ever wonder like, why he doesn't just usher you right on in the glory? And, and, and I'm, I don't know all the answers. I've got a couple of ideas. But I think at least one of those is that God's going to use this wilderness as a place to sanctify us. Right, it's going to be a place where, uh, where, man, there's a lot of things in our hearts that are revealed in this in-between. Right, it, it's in this wilderness that God's going to reveal some things that are, that are not so pretty about us. Anybody ever seen that yet? Yeah. Right? Anger? Bitterness. Lust. Pride. Greed. I mean, the list could go on, right? We could we could stand up here for a while and do that. Right? And, And this is a place where the wilderness that we're in right now, like it's what we're all in. When I mean wilderness, I just mean that place in between the moment you trust in Jesus and the moment he takes you to glory. Right? We're all there right now. At least if you're a Christian and you're in this room. We're there right now. And it's in that space that, that God's going to reveal what we actually believe. Right? Where we actually have put our trust and hope. Right? He's going to use that space to reveal some of the idols in our own hearts. Right? This is a place of sanctifying. But it's also a place uh, that... No, it's not only a place that reveals. It's also a place that refines. Because it's in this place that that, we're going to be tested and God's going to use the the situations and circumstances in the wilderness to teach us to listen to his word, that we might grow in confidence, grow in trust, grow in faith, grow in obedience. The, The wilderness is where we are sanctified. Right? So, let me show this to you. Let me go back to the text. Look at the last verse. Verse 27. So God tests them, and then he says, uh, then this is what it says, Then they came, the Israelites, came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Right, that feels like just a left-turn verse, but but... Here's what's interesting is they were at this place called Mara, right? Where the water was bitter. So God does a supernatural act, provides uh, water to sustain them. All right. But did you, you catch what happens next? It says they, they came to Elam. If you look at a map, to put it plainly, not only does God provide for their need, provide the water that they need to sustain them, proves that, that he can be trusted, lays a test before them. But then he leads them not on a bypass into the promised land. Right? They're not hitting 31W and getting to the right, they're not they're not bypassing it. He actually leads them further into the wilderness. Right? He lays before them like, hey, you can trust me. Now let's go. Further into the wilderness. Right. And, and we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come, but, but here's what I want you to, to kind of leave you with this morning. Is that, that God will not take any shortcuts in your sanctification. Right. God will not take any shortcuts in conforming you into the image of His Son. Right. If, if you're a Christian... Not only has God saved you and delivered you like the Israelites, but he's also committed to to you growing and maturing into the image of Jesus more and more and more as you walk through this wilderness, right? And this, from from my experience, both as a sinful human being and as a pastor, this journey of sanctification, of growing into the image of Christ, uh, it is a painfully slow process. Anybody just want to testify like, yep, yeah, thank you. You've affirmed me in this moment. I feel feel like I'm a part of something here. It is a painfully slow process where the Lord uh, reveals things that are ugly in us, things that are not consistent with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The Lord uses this wilderness to, to constantly reveal uh, where we're living out of an old identity instead of the new one that he gave us the moment we put our faith in Christ. Right? And, and it is a slow process of sanctification. Right? And, and God will not take a shortcut to get you there. Right? I mean, the, the Israelites, in that journey for them, from the moment they left, were delivered, saved, to the moment they got in the promised land, 40 years of just wandering and waiting in the wilderness. All those 40 years that God's going to use to reveal things about them, He's going to use those 40 years to teach them, to train them, to test them, to to grow their trust in Him, to grow, uh, help them grow in faith and obedience to His Word. 40 40 years. It's a long time. No offense if you're 40 year older. I'm in a few weeks, I'm going to hit that age 35, where I have to start like rounding up to 40. All right? So, no offense if you're a 40 year old,er but right. Here's what I know: is the wilderness for us from the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ to the moment that He takes us to glory. For most of us, I mean, this is generally speaking, most of us, that process is going to be longer than 40 years. Right, we don't. I'm not going to reach perfection on this side of eternity. All right, that's what this, <laughs> however long the Lord gives us here, He's using it to shape and mold and conform us more and more into the image of His Son, whether it's 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, however long you've got. Like, know that that's what the Lord is doing. But here's, here's what I want you to, to see however long the Lord gives you in the wilderness, Right, however long that is, here's here's what I know is that the Lord is still good, and he's still faithful, even in maybe especially in the wilderness. And he's still good here. Just as he he took the people of Israel deeper into the wilderness, and you know what they found there? A lot of water. Deeper into the wilderness. Proves to them that, hey, Yeah, we're going deeper into the wilderness, but I'm still going to sustain you. I'm still going to provide for you. I'm still going to give you what you need. And so what I know for for us, both experientially and because I just want to believe the promises of God, that it's in the wilderness, though deeper into the wilderness, we're still going to find that God is faithful. So here's, right, sometimes, sometimes God's faithfulness looks like Signs and wonders and miracles and supernatural work. All right, we've seen it in the Word. I, I think I've seen that in my own life. Sometimes that's what God's faithfulness looks like. And praise God, I want to see more of that. Right, but sometimes God's faithfulness uh, in the wilderness simply looks like sustaining you from one day to the next. Anybody ever had those seasons in life where you're just like, Ugh, i just got to make it to tomorrow. And God's faithful. That's what He does. He gets you to tomorrow. Sometimes God's faithfulness looks like slowly and painfully revealing to you the bitterness of your sin. Anger, pride, lust, greed. All those things that He tends to reveal in our hearts. Sometimes God's faithfulness looks like revealing those things to us in order that the grace and the mercy of Jesus might become all the more sweet to us. Because I'm telling you, man, it's not until you see the ugliness of your own heart until the, the goodness of Jesus becomes all the more real. Right? Sometimes God's faithfulness in the wilderness looks like leading you further and further and further into the wilderness, into a a barren wasteland where there's nothing else so that you might see that he is still enough and that that, that he will sustain you. When it doesn't look like there's anything else that that might sustain you in the wilderness, that's where you find that God's enough to sustain you. So whatever wandering and and waiting the the wilderness might bring you, here's the promise that we have. One thing for sure is that God is faithful to finish What he started. To to put it uh, the way that Paul does in the book of Philippians, right? He who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Right? God's not gonna save you and deliver you from slavery, from oppression, to just leave you in the wilderness. he's He's gonna lead you through the wilderness and he's gonna do a lot of sanctifying work in that. But the promise is he's going to deliver you in the glory one day. Not because of anything awesome in you. Not because of how great you are. But because of Jesus. Because of your faith and trust in him. So listen. The journey through the wilderness for the Israels and for us. It's long. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be parts of it you hate and wish you didn't have to walk through. All right, but my encouragement to you this morning and in the, the weeks ahead is, is do not despise the difficult days of the wilderness. Because, man, that is exactly, it's exactly where God does his revealing and refining and sanctifying work. All right. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we're just grateful for these men and women in this room. Uh, Lord, we're grateful that we get together, that we get to sing your praises for those of us that have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, Lord,'re we're, we're grateful that you have delivered us and saved us from slavery to sin, uh, that, that we don't have to live under uh, that sort of oppression anymore, that you've called us out into freedom. And then, Lord, we know in this room that that um, that you've called us into, uh, ultimately, to be in your presence into the promised land and to an eternity spent with you, but, but right now uh, in, in the wilderness the, between the sort of the place of already and not yet, uh, Lord, I pray that you would sustain us. Lord, help us to, to see that this is a place where you are sanctifying us, you are conforming us more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ and so I I pray Father that that you might do a work of revealing maybe it begins this morning revealing in the hearts of the men and women in this room maybe there's there's sin that needs to be revealed and and repented of Lord maybe there's just some that that need to to grow in their trust of You. they look at everything going around everything going on around them and uh, we're just Their reaction is despair and discouragement. I I pray that you would remind them that you are for them, that you have delivered them, that you will sustain them or that you will finish what you started. Lord, uh, maybe there might be some in this room this morning that that need to be saved. They're still enslaved to sin. They're still uh, still living uh, under that, that uh, that type of oppression to sin. Lord, I pray that you would save them, that you would redeem them, that you would call them out of that, that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, for the hope of eternal life. Lord, for all of us in this room, I pray that you would just, as we wander through our own wilderness, however many years you give us, would help us to keep our eyes on you, would help us to respond to to your spirit as you reveal things about us. Help us to grow in our trust, our obedience, uh, to grow in faith. Lord, we ask all this in Jesus' name.